Well, good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Well, some theologians have referred to the book of Isaiah as the fifth gospel. And that's because Isaiah talked a lot about Jesus. Now, if you didn't know that, you don't have to be embarrassed. In a sense, Isaiah didn't really know it either. He lived some 800 years before the Christmas story in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke were ever written down. But Isaiah was a prophet. And while prophets did far more than just predict the future, that was a big part of their job responsibilities. Prophets pointed God's people's eyes to the promises that God would one day fulfill. And the coming of Jesus is the greatest fulfillment of the greatest promise that God ever made. So what exactly did Isaiah have to say about Jesus? We'll get a sampling of some of the most significant passages between now and Christmas Eve, starting with a classic Christmas text this morning, and that is Isaiah chapter 7. So open up to Isaiah 7, verse 1. Feel free to watch the screen to follow along. Use your own Bible or use one of our Bibles and take it home if you don't have one. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for every Sunday morning. Uh, But thank you for Sundays in the month of December. Uh, where the room is a little bit brighter and there's a little more color and there's maybe even a little more joy and enthusiasm in the room. Uh, Lord, I pray that our worship would be honoring to you uh, this morning, whether it's through our music, whether it's through hearing and reading and listening to your word, whether it's giving or whether it's simply thinking back to the cross like we just did with communion. Uh, I pray that every angle and every aspect and Every expression of our worship would be honoring to you today. And thank you for the gift of your word that we're about to read more deeply. Uh, Thank you that your word is just a never-ending source of treasure. Uh, We can read and read and read and study and study and study, and we could never learn enough from your word. Uh, The journey just keeps going. And... I pray that as we read your word this morning, we would come across treasure that we maybe haven't seen before, and that reading your word and learning more about you would spur us on to a deeper sense of awe of who you are and what you've done. And Lord, again, I pray that you be with us in this time we have together. Thank you for these people, this place, new faces, old faces, and the opportunity to be here today. We love you. We worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the year is 735 B.C. And the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, living in the promised land that God gave them, with the beautiful city of Jerusalem as their capital, who once had the great king David leading them into prosperity and influence, has split in two. You have Israel or Ephraim in the north, and you have Judah in the south. And as the years went on, both kingdoms had their share of both good and bad kings. 
Judah's kings were generally better than Israel's, but even they were no David. And that's especially the case for King Ahaz, the king who occupied the throne at the time of Isaiah chapter 7. To get just a brief glimpse of what we're dealing with in Isaiah chapter 7, you can read in 2 Kings 16, starting in verse 1. We read there. In the seventeenth year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Ahaz acted like the kings of Israel and the kings of the surrounding pagan nations in all the worst ways especially with his fondness of worshiping idols. Idolatry had been a persistent sin in Israel's history, going back all the way to Moses. The Israelites were constantly tempted to worship, trust, and live for anything and everything that was not the one true God. Idolatry was a core part of how the nation of Israel was divided in the first place. And as we just read, King Ahaz was particularly guilty of it. Later in the chapter, when Ahaz hears that two rival kings plan to attack him, he doesn't turn to God for help. Why would he? He's an idol worshiper. He turns to the nation of Assyria. In short, Ahaz was an awful king at a crucial moment in Judah's survival. But that's when we meet Isaiah. And as prophets tend to do, Isaiah confronts Judah's wicked and idolatrous king. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Isaiah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shearjashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, 
Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So Isaiah calls King Ahaz to faith and obedience in the face of danger. Again, that's what prophets do. They remind God's people, especially their leaders, of who God is and what God has done and who they're called to be and what they're called to do in response. The message that God has for Ahaz is simple. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. Why? Because God's got Judah taken care of. The bad guys from Israel and Syria will be gone in no time. But the question is, will Ahaz trust God? And the answer appears to be no. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Sounds very pious and humble, but it's actually a bit defiant. Verse 13. And Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Again, it may be subtle, but all the evidence suggests that Ahaz is not interested In Isaiah's words, or God's assistance. After all, he has Assyria to back him up. Who needs God? Nevertheless, God promises a sign of his help in verse 14. And this is where we start to think about Christmas. A virgin, or a young woman, depending on your translation. More on that later will bear a child. And before that kid even knows how to talk, the two kings threatening Judah will be a distant memory. So Isaiah 7.14 is a message of God's protection, God's provision, God's faithfulness to Judah, whether King Ahaz appreciates it or not. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah didn't know it at the time, 
But those words would become one of the most beloved verses of Christmas. We read it and instantly think, well, he's talking about baby Jesus, right? Well, hold on. Not so fast. While Isaiah is talking about the future, he's also talking about the present. In the long term, Isaiah 714 looks forward to Jesus. But what did it mean in the short term? What hope does Isaiah 714 offer Ahaz and the people of Judah with enemies breathing down their necks? For that, turn to Isaiah 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, belonging to Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah, the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Can you imagine trying to fit that on a stocking? (laughs) For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river. It's referring to the Euphrates. Mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks. And it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. Now, wait a minute. I thought Isaiah 7 was talking about Jesus. But it looks like this other kid in Isaiah 8, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, checks all the boxes. He's born of a young woman around the two bad kings' defeat. We see the same sort of language about the boy growing up as we saw in Isaiah 7. We even see the word Emmanuel in verse 8, and God is with us. The meaning of Emmanuel in verse 10. So much for baby Jesus. I guess baby Mahar Shalal Hashbaz is the real star of Isaiah 714. Talk about a Christmas letdown, right? Or is it? While Malar Shalal Hashbaz may have been the immediate fulfillment of God's sign in Isaiah 7.14, he's not the ultimate fulfillment of it. That's part of how prophecy in the Bible can work. 
There can be a short-term fulfillment and then a long-term fulfillment. And the long-term fulfillment is often far greater than anyone could ever imagine. The good news is that there's another Emmanuel coming in this long, winding, but coherent story of redemption that stretches across the Old and New Testaments. And when that Emmanuel comes, God is with us, takes on a whole new meaning. Look at Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Look at that, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So when Joseph heard that his supposedly virgin fiance is pregnant, he assumed the same thing that you and I would. She cheated. But then an angel tells Joseph the real, but no less amazing truth. That Mary is still a virgin, and the baby in her womb is from the Holy Spirit. What should Joseph name this baby? Jesus. And what will this baby do? He will save his people from their neighboring enemies. He will save this people from their military rivals. He will save this people from their political threats. No, none of those things. He will save his people from their sins. And what prophecy does Jesus's arrival fulfill? The one we just read. Isaiah 714. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, the same angel who spoke to Joseph speaks to Mary. And he tells her who this baby will be. Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High. When the name Emmanuel, God with us, is uttered of Jesus, it isn't some vague notion of God's protection, provision, and faithfulness during a hard time. It's not just a comforting reminder of God's love. 
It's not just some half-hearted, hallmark card encouragement that everything's going to be okay in the end. When we read that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, it literally means that Jesus is God with us. Theologian J.I. Packer writes, It is here, and the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The Word was made flesh. God became a man. The divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is as fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. Amen. So back to our text. Is Isaiah 7.14 about Mahar, Shalal, Hashbaz? Or is it about Jesus? Is it about God saving his people from their political, military enemies around 735 B.C.? Or is it about God saving humanity from our sin, dating all the way back to the Garden of Eden? Is this text about some random, awkwardly named baby you had probably never heard of before this morning? Or is it about the miraculous baby we dedicate an entire month to celebrating? Which one? Yes. All of the above. Isaiah 7.14 includes all of it. In a sense, God fulfilled his sign from Isaiah 7 in Isaiah 8. But in another sense, the sign of Isaiah 7 was bigger and more glorious than anyone, including the prophet himself, could have ever dreamed. And we today are the beneficiaries of it. But before we move ahead, there's one question that may be worth asking. And we mentioned it briefly a few moments ago. Is Isaiah 7.14 about a young woman, or is it about a virgin? Part of the reason I bring this up is that you may occasionally stumble across an article around this time of year stating that the real translation of Isaiah 7.14 says, Young woman. And not virgin. And we're told that because of this secret that Christians like to sweep under the rug, everything you've been taught about Mary, Jesus, and Christmas is just one big charade. We modern people ought to know better than to believe silly religious myths about prophets and angels and virgin births. Well, first, the Hebrew word in Isaiah 7.14 could very well mean virgin, and not just young woman. Second, even if the mother of Mahar Shalal Hashbaz in Isaiah 8 was just a young woman and not a virgin, that doesn't change the clear teaching of Matthew 1 and Luke 1, 
Both writers go to great lengths to stress that Mary was a virgin. And third, the greatest Christian minds throughout the past 2,000 years, who, by the way, understood the birds and the bees and knew that virgins don't usually conceive children, they all affirm the virgin birth. Around 2,000 years ago, God became man in the arrival of Jesus, born of a virgin's womb. Now, is it hard to wrap your mind around that? Of course it is. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be a miracle. And just between me and you, I'm not all that interested in a Christmas without miracles. Better yet, a faith without miracles. Those would both be pretty boring. In fact, they wouldn't be worth believing. So each Christmas, we're reminded of the miracle of Isaiah 714, ultimately fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. This child was and is and one day will be again God with us in the fullest sense of the phrase. Graham Cole writes, Jesus is the window into the heart of God. To hear Jesus is to hear the word of God. To see Jesus is to see the character of God. To watch Jesus in action is to see God in action. Or in the words of someone else, if the invisible God could be seen, he would look like Jesus. This baby came to save far more than just the people of Judah. He came to save every man, woman, and child who would believe in his name. He came to save his people from something far worse than political, military conflict, earthly enemies, temporary suffering, or even physical death. He came to save us from sin itself. And the eternal condemnation, judgment, and separation from God, it brings about. And he did this not just by lying in a manger in Bethlehem, but by dying on a cross in Jerusalem. So this Christmas, how will you respond to this wonderful, awe-inspiring, miraculous prophecy of Isaiah 7.14? Will you accept the help that God has given? Will you recognize the sign that God has sent? Will you listen to the message that the angels, the apostles, and the saints have uttered? Will you receive the promise that God has fulfilled and be forgiven of your sins and reconciled to the God who made you in his image? Or will you be like Ahaz in Isaiah 7? looking to anything and anyone but God for the help that you really need. You must make a choice because Emmanuel, God with us, is only good news if God is on your side. In our own ways, we too live in a time of darkness, hardship, anxiety, and danger. And despite all the progress we think we've made, the world is just as fallen now as it was in 735 B.C. 
Sometimes our hearts may shake like the trees in the forest shake before the wind. But be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. Be firm in faith. Why? Emmanuel. God is with us. If you read Isaiah 7.14 and don't see Jesus, you've missed the full point of the prophecy. And if you celebrate Christmas without the knowledge that God is with us in the person of Jesus, you'll miss the point of Christmas too. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your word. The parts that we understand and the parts that we don't. The parts that we lift out of context and don't always study deeply. And the parts that we do study and are enlightened and blown away by the things that we've missed. Lord, thank you for the promise of Isaiah 7. Thank you that this prophecy about a virgin bearing a child isn't just a promise to some people we don't know in a faraway place some 2,700 years ago. But rather, the words of Isaiah 7 offer us hope, offer us joy, offer us peace. Not just from threats, not just from dangers, not just from worries about safety or physical survival, but... The prophecy of Isaiah 7 looks forward to what we really, truly need in the eternal scheme of things. And that's a Savior. That's a Redeemer. That is a Lord. And thank you that you fulfilled this promise. Not just way back then in Isaiah 8, but you fulfilled this promise in Matthew 1. And because you kept your word in Matthew 1, we who believe in you, we who believe in your Son can be forgiven. We can be saved from our sins because Emmanuel has come. Remind us of that. Help us thank you for that. Keep that at the forefront of our minds in the Christmas season as we have so many other things to think about. Help us keep that at the center of it all. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.